Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen, and today we're talking with David Parkin. He's a writer, musician and artist who's doing a new project called Delusions of Grandeur at Betham Museum of the Mind. That's all about his experience of being sectioned. Um, It's basically an immersive experience that takes you through all the ins and outs of that. Um, So we're going to be talking about that project today and his experience of bipolar disorder. So I had my had my first breakdown um, when I was nineteen, and that was a uh, depressive um, breakdown, um, very heavy. Like I I dropped out of university for a term, um, and then I ended up making my last year at university. I ended up making a one man show about that um, called "Driving a Skoda in the Fast Lane." The cultural reference in that title no longer means anything, because Skoda's are fine now. So, um, yeah. So, and then I was with I was with a arts company for quite a long time. So, um, and then I had two big breakdowns, um, two thousand nine, two thousand and ten. So, I guess how, how my mental health has been is before before. Um, before delusions of grandeur, what, I, what I'm uh, talking about, I've had very heavy depressive episodes, very sporadically through my life. I mean, so I've had, I guess, around about three. Um, but then generally beyond that, on a day-to-day basis, I've, I've always, you know, always struggled a little bit with my mental health. And that can be like anxiety and bad sleep when you say you had kind of a number of depressive episodes did they were they triggered by anything that you can tell or did they kind of come without warning uh the big trigger 
getting dumped. Mm. <laughs> Relation. Um, it's such a cliche, I know, but the relationship relationship breakups have been a um, have been a big trigger for me in the past. Yeah, I mean, there was other stuff going on, especially first time round. There was like, I was at university, so I was experimenting with drugs, as you do. So and lots of drink, and yeah, especially at university. And what like treatment did you get for those depressive periods? Were you diagnosed with anything? Did you receive any, you know, proper treatment? Uh, right in two thousand nine, I had a big depressive episode. Relationship ended, and um, I had a big depressive episode, and um, and I ended up writing an album about it. So I, I, I've been thinking in these terms. So I'm just seeing this, saying this to give me a, a framework. Um, but then in 2010, I had a very big depressive episode and uh, jumped off a roof. So this is you asking me, I'm coming to this point, but you asked me, did I get any care or treatment? So um, <clears throat> the thing was, so, okay, so I had loads of broken bones and uh, a brain injury. Um, I, I was put on a mindfulness course later, but I'm coming to that. Um <clears throat> So, but the thing was, here's the kicker. Okay, so I had this five-minute memory, um, but when I came round, because of the brain injury, after jumping off a roof, I was suffering from euphoria. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I was this giggling. I was, I was, I had no inhibitions as well. So I was this giggling idiot, you know, and uh, when my when my nan came to see me, I I told her she looked like my dad in drag. So I was I was that kind. Of, yeah. <laughs> um. So but this euphoria lasted for a while and like two or three months. Um, it, it got less and less. But I was put on a mindfulness course because I jumped off a roof. And um, the thing was, I was still euphoric then. So I didn't really, it didn't really do anything for me. And also, I, I, I knew I didn't fit in. I was in this group of people, all of whom were recovering from various breakdowns and stuff, who were carefully piecing themselves back together. And I was just shipper really i i was i was completely fine at that point so um yeah i guess to to summarize you asked uh have i have i been put on stuff so there was the mindfulness which didn't really suit me at that time and the and then the short stay in a psychiatric hospital before the jump uh which i can't really remember so uh i don't know i don't feel like i feel like i haven't had much before getting sectioned then just before you got sectioned you had your first kind of manic episode was that new for you had you experienced that before or did it basically tell us what that was and what it felt like yeah well um I, I, so I, I learned quite by surprise that I was bipolar, um, <clears throat> uh, because yeah, I had this, I had this manic episode 
Once again, the relationship ended and I decided to come off my drugs and 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 um, I was drinking rather heavily at the time, so I decided to stop drinking and all these coalesced. So I ended up having this manic episode. And now you ask me, what is it like? And I don't want to, I don't want to grandize it. I don't want to like say it's a good thing, but when it's good, it's really good. It's like now I feel really bad. It's like when it's good, it's like snorting God's Coke. Um, you know, you are just so sure about everything and everything's connected. And I was, um, I was putting the finishing touches. So I wrote a children's book called The Nose That Nobody Picked, still available on Amazon. Um, and, and I did a, I changed it into a musical and I was putting the finishing touches to this musical and book. And I was convinced that this children's book was a agnostic parable that was going to change the world. You know, uh, taxi drivers would say, you're all right, mate, how's it going? I go, great, I've written an agnostic parable that's going to change the world. So, um, yeah, it for, for, for a while, it's, it's extremely, it's not sustainable. But, and that happens and uh, yeah, other stuff happens. But leading up to going into hospital, I was once again through some brain strange, strange, brain strange thing. I was having the time of my life and annoying all my friends and, you know, pissing random people off. But I was, I was great, you know. And you mentioned sort of coming off meds in there at some point, sort of at the start of that. Um, so where were you during that time in terms of being assessed or being diagnosed? And had you been put on mood stabilizers? And what are your thoughts on all that sort of stuff? Well, see, now, looking back, it's a, this is quite a while ago. This is seven years ago, 2015. But... Um, I was on citalopram, which is an antidepressant, but some doctor, see, I don't remember being told I was bipolar or possibly bipolar, but some doctor had put me on uh, Seroquel, which is, or Quetiapin, uh, Seroquel is the brand name. They want to, they, if I get any, I won't get any money for that ad. Anyway, the Seroquel. Brilliant for sorting your brain out. Um, uh, yeah, so I was on quetiapine, which is used. It's an antipsychotic, but it's used to um, calm uh, bipolar down. So, yeah, I was already on that. And then I came off both the citalopram and the quetiapine. I've kind of generally, um, I've... Uh, this was after the roof thing and I've kind of been, I've been, I think I'd been on drugs sort of on and off 
or medication. But after that, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go on the meds because, um, you know, what I have when it does kick off can be very, very heavy and suicidal and life-threatening. So um, I've, I'm just, I'm, I'm all for the medication personally, although I think it's very unique to everybody, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I know that's quite a common thing um, for people with bipolar disorder. It can take ages to get a diagnosis. I think the average is about 10 years. Um, 10 years from having like a first experience of depression or um, or mania. So you have your first episode and then the average is 10 years. And then so you've got that period of 10 years where um, all that stuff can happen and you're sort of muddling about, then finally you get a diagnosis. Did you, can you remember sort of getting the diagnosis and, and was it a relief or did you just sort of have to kind of piece it together yourself? Well, I got the diagnosis when I got sectioned and uh, whatever I say about sectioning, the, the great thing about it is you're finally seen by experts. You know, a lot of people end up seeing a GP who, you know, might not be the best person, um, but you get seen by a team of experts. And I mean, it was, they very quickly ascertained that I was bipolar, you know, um uh because i was you know i was i was i was uh quite quite insane quite yeah um but yeah so how did i feel when they when they told me i was bipolar uh i was i was incredulous because at the time you're on the bipolar high you're like what well i'm fine what are you talking about i'm having the time of my life it's you people knocking about with your stethoscopes who are, who are ruining things, you know. So I was convinced I was not bipolar when it when I actually got um, got 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 the label or whatever. Um, I mean, looking back, it's good that I, it's actually probably quite good that I got sectioned in the end because, as I say, and now you get seen by a specialist, and now I'm on the right drugs and the right treatment or whatever for bipolar um but yeah when you if it, it's a very common thing i think um bipolars if you do, don't tell a person they're bipolar during a, a bipolar manic high because they're not going to believe you can you tell us what was the thing that led to you getting sectioned what was happening in that period where people realized okay something's not quite right here I am a, I'm an artist. I'm a kind of jack of all trades, a bit of a musician, a bit of a theatre person. So that that was all kicking off. I was really throwing myself into this this kids musical, and I was doing I was just doing weird things like I'd I'd go for walks at like three o'clock in the morning, and there are there are a few there are a few uh, kicking off points. Like, um, I, yeah, I, I became obsessed with the homeless. I was, you know, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of what I, what I did was I wrote there. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. I wrote these rules, right. About how to live. And 
you go back through these rules and a lot of it's a lot of it's good sense i talk about walking everywhere and being nice to the homeless and you know um but i i was putting myself in positions where i was more vulnerable so one example of that is um i i there was this there was this homeless guy and i said it was he was um he was he was uh you know begging um then that's the polite word for it but he was hoping to get some money from pastors by and he's getting nothing so i went up to him and went right i'm gonna help you so i i recited poetry to people walking past in the trying to get money off them for this guy so i managed to get him about i don't know 10 quid or something but then what i did now i don't blame the guy because i put him in the position i said shall i go and get you some food and I, I just ran off to the to the Chinese, leaving the guy with my laptop and my coat. Um, and of course, when I came back, the laptop and the coat weren't there. And, you know, I was doing I was doing lots of crazy things like I was doing impromptu gigs at a bars with the guitars. I remember I was almost getting in a fight for defending a homeless person. So I was, I was very erratic, very all over the place. Um, and yeah. And the thing was my friends and family didn't really know what was going on. You know, Dave's acting a bit weird. What's, you know, going on. And so, yeah, it came to a head when um, I was doing a reading of the nose that nobody picked at Attenborough Arts, and I had I had these plans. I was gonna I was gonna walk there, um, and I was gonna get I was gonna go to secondhand shops and dress up as I went there, gathering an audience. I mean, I laugh. I mean, a lot of it's you know it's quite amusing to look back on, but gathering an audience around me like the Pied Piper. And I would, I was going to go in blowing smoke filled bubbles using my vape. And, um, yeah. And one of the art center came around my house, my parents and family were there and listened to all of this and, um, and promptly canceled the gig. And, and then that night I was, my parents had come up to stay to look, keep an eye on me. I was I was outraged though. I phoned a friend and said, "I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to write this damning thing about these people who don't, you know, my 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 cutting edge children's book reading." And um, yeah, my friend phoned my parents, and then I was determined to go home. And my parents said, "Oh, well, let's just get in the ca- taxi," and the taxi ended up at. Um, uh yeah the hospital and and i got sectioned that night how long were you sectioned for and can you remember about your time there um because i think there is the assumption some people think you know people get very ill and then they can't remember the stuff but as you've just given us that very detailed account actually you you can remember quite a lot of it so um what what are your thoughts and on um your time um in the hospital yeah well um yeah i was in for four months four months um and 
Yeah, I mean, this is part of the exhibition, David Parkins, Delusions of Grandeur at Bethlehem, um, June the 20th, no, April the 22nd to July the 22nd. Sorry, sorry about that blatant plug. Um, but yeah, part of the, it's a multidisciplinary exhibition. Um, so there's stuff you can listen to. There's a My Alternative Seclusion. Um, but mainly there's these text boards that go all around and they describe uh, moments on the ward. So, yeah, I I can remember a lot of my stuff. Um, so what was it like being set? It was such, such an odd experience. It's um, it's institutional. Uh, you get institutionalized, but it's crazy as well. You meet all these weird people. I mean, I mean, I did. There's so many odd things that happened in there, which the textbooks talk about. But like, I, I went in and promptly fell madly in love with a fellow fellow inmate, and um, and then. And then, you know, I, I, uh, I, another, uh, and then I was sent to an all male ward where this, um, this old guy punched me <laughs> and, and then like I escaped and went to the champagne bar, which I, like I said, I don't want to grandize any of it, but people occasionally escaped and they go, where'd you go? I went to the pub. I went to the champagne bar, you know, um, so, but yes, I guess, um, what was it like? What was it like? It was, it was horrible in many, many ways. Um, your freedom is stripped from you. Uh, for the start of it, you can't leave. You, um, uh, you know, you have times to go to bed, to get up. Um, and you're in there with a lot of, well, actually you're in, you are in there with, uh, very troubled people, but some of them are, that were absolutely fantastic people. God, I don't know. What was it like? It's, it's such, it's so big. It's hard to, to bring it into one little walnut, but it was, a uh, it was a, odd surreal depressing and then yeah uh, ad adventure it's like it's almost like being in prison what was happening like in your mind at that point we I know you mentioned before you had these kind of rules for life and you thought you'd written and I'm sure it was a masterpiece you'd written this big masterpiece that was going to change the world were you still in that mindset after you had been sectioned or did things change? Was it a kind of realizing of, okay, maybe I wasn't quite on the right track about those things. Something is wrong. Well, a uh, bit of both. Um, so four months speaks for how long I was, I was uh, going. So for a while, like I was still, I was still convinced like I was, um, I was I managed to get a hold of some chalks and they had this wall outside and I was drawing pictures from the book and stuff um but gradually there's a slow I mean this I think this is especially true 
for bipolars and a bipolar manic episode like this, gradually there's a kind of realisation as your mood dips, you suddenly go, oh, yeah. And, and, uh, and yeah, your mood dips and things become a lot more real. Um, it becomes very clear while you're there and that you've been high. I mean, when it finally crashes, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nasty sort of realization, especially as you, you've been so adamant for so long that you're fine and, you know, and you're not really seeing where you are through the eyes, through sane eyes, you're, um, it's all skewered, really, you know, because, I mean, it makes sense if, like, so, um, if saying to someone, well, you're on a bipolar high and you've been sectioned because of that, and now you're, now you're in a mental health unit, just look around you, why else do you think you would be here? And obviously, you know, the same person goes, oh, okay, right, yes, I am. I am here, aren't I? But that is a very hard thing to accept at first. And you don't believe them at all. I think in Delusions of Grandeur, you kind of have a lot of, which is your exhibition for any listeners that don't know about it. um, You have a lot of detail about kind of the ins and outs of being sectioned and your experiences there. Were you keeping any kind of notes while you were there or were you making art while you were there? Um, I don't, I don't know, I guess, um, there are certain, ah, no, I remember now what I did. The thing was, uh, obviously certain things stick in your mind and you remember, but you can buy your doctor's notes like for 20 quid. Yeah. So then they're actually, they're a really good read to, to read once sane um and some of them are you know and they they chart everything they chart everything you do so you know um david walked around with a pair of underpants on his head and and, and then went to bed at twelve thirty-five. the sleep seems regular no you know um so yeah the doctor's notes are quite so I went through the doctor's notes. That was it. I went through the doctor's notes as a sort of aid memoir. And um, yeah, and they really helped remember me to remember everything, I guess. What made you want to kind of take all of this and turn it into Delusions of Grandeur as a kind of immersive exhibition? I knew I was going to do something about uh, the section experience and... And then uh, G. Gurdeep came to me with this, this I, you know, this space, and that's how it all sort of blossomed. And yeah, it just it was a really, it was a really nice. It was because like I I applied to the Arts Council, and it was all very last minute, and it all came together very last minute so it was a it was a really 
joyful sort of creation. And I, um, I guess now when they say, well, may, uh, people ask people whether, why they want to make art about mental health and part of it. See, I've never felt people talk about uh, the stigma and stuff. I've never really felt that. I've always like since 19, I've made a show about it. So um, for me, I mean, I do end up talking about things like seclusion and there you maybe want to make changes. Um, but for me, it was it was just such an odd experience. And I don't think this is talked about enough, but um, about mental health. And for me, like having an extreme mental health situation, although horrific for me anyway, has always been a very profound experience. Um, now, that doesn't mean that, like, especially with crippling depression, you, you're not sit, I'm not sitting there, you know, completely depressed going, wow, this is deep, man. I'm loving this. I'm loving, loving the visuals. What's, look at that. No, what I mean is you go through something like that and, okay, so I won't talk about a bipolar high being profound because it is, it is, it is a profound thing. You feel like you're a god and that is a profound thing. But, you know, going through severe depression is a profound thing. And, you know, I'm part of making art about it, I guess, and part of recovering from it is, and this happens to non-arty farties as well, I'm sure. Um, you recover and, or you, you know, just piecing yourself back together after something like that is in itself a kind of rewarding, profound thing because you see things differently. You realize things about yourself and, um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's my answer. I guess, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it was a profound experience and also quite amusing in places. So I wanted to make a piece of art about it, I guess. If you've been struggling with any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116-123. You can also find them online at samaritans.org. You can find us online. We have a Twitter account, which is at MentallyYRS. And you can also join our lovely Facebook group, which is simply called Mentally Yours. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.